0: purpose and this is going to go hand in hand with our, our go big campaign that we launched the Sunday after Labor Day and uh, I'd like for all of you to absorb this material and uh, implement it in your life and uh, I'm going to have you uh, understand with me uh, what God really had in mind when he instituted the idea of a church. And uh, So we're going to be very biblical in our, our presentation, and hopefully this will challenge you to step out a little bit further in your relationship with God, go a little bit higher, go a little bit deeper, etc., cetera, and uh, to bring to the kingdom all of your potential, not just part of it, but all of it, and uh, to let the Lord move through your life and ultimately bless the kingdom of God. Our scripture setting tonight is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Uh, Very familiar reading, Jesus speaking. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. (coughs) I want you to to notice with me tonight that this is the very first distinct mention of the church in the New Testament. It was mentioned by Jesus. He didn't leave it up to someone else to introduce this new concept. He mentioned it. He talked about it, and those of you and most of you are familiar with Matthew chapter 16 in this scripture reading, you will know that he is very passionate and very fervent about his church. So I want to say tonight, and, and not that you don't already know it, but to get, get you on a a wavelength with me, the church is not a material building. This building is not the church. Uh, we assemble here, and we call it a church building because we assemble here, but it's not the church. The word is never used in Scripture. The word is never the word church is never used in scripture to refer to a material building. The word church is mentioned 140 times in the New Testament and not once is it ever mentioned as a material building. The language used uh, uh, of the church could not be applied to a building. This building has no way shape or form of implementing the commandments that God has given to the church. It can't do it. Um, The Bible said the Lord added to the church in the book of Acts. Herod vexed the church. The church was persecuted. Paul saluted the church. The Bible said the churches had rest, but never was it intended to be a structure, a literal building. Only in the traditions of men can people go to church. The church is the people and the people take the church out there. Y'all on board with me? Okay. The second thing I want to point out to you is that the church is not a denomination denominationalism actually is contrary to scripture it's evident of carnality and division if you stop and think about that that's true one group split off of another group and formed an organization and gave themselves a name and another group split off of that group and formed an organization and gave themselves a name United Pentecostal Church International experienced a split not too long ago and, um, they're the, um, WPF, uh, World Pentecostal Fellowship or something, I don't know what they're called, don't matter. Uh, I'm not into denominations and organizations and all that. Let me mention this in passing, I think it's interesting. <coughs> I was talking to a pastor friend, it's been a number of years ago, when Brother Tenney was district superintendent over Louisiana, and, um he was talking about how he loved Brother Tenney, he loved the district, and he said, as a matter of fact, I just cannot make it through the day without talking to my district superintendent at least once. I'm like, really? You have to talk to Brother Tenney every day? He said, yeah. He said, I just I need encouragement, what have you. I don't know if I should have felt bad or good, but I never talked to Brother Tenney about nothing uh, still don't for that matter i don't talk to brother cox about anything for that matter um i love them i think they're great men or what? But i don't i don't need the organization to do what i do i need the word of god and jesus and that's plenty of motivation for me anyway y'all might want to erase that off the tape <coughs> anyway but denominations are usually formed around a form of church government A doctrinal emphasis or truth can be formed around a personality that God used in some revival or in some awesome experience. The tragedy is that each revival of truth finds its most bitter enemies in the previous group that had light from heaven but stopped somewhere along the way. So history repeats itself in each generation. The only thing we learn from history is that we can never learn from history. It's interesting, isn't it? (coughs) So we must constantly guard against the degenerating cycle of message, man, movement, and monument. And every great move of God either continues to be a movement or it becomes a monument. Notice that uh, Jesus does not say that he will build his churches, but his church. So in my understanding of Scripture, as far as God is concerned, he's only interested in rapturing one church. Is everybody on board with that? So there's only one church, and its message has never changed, and its message can never change. If it does, then it ceases to be God's church. Now, I'm not so narrow-minded up here tonight to say that there's everybody that goes to church somewhere on a consistent basis believes that they're a part of the church, and God will sort all of that out in the last day. I have said over and over and over that I do not believe the United Pentecostal Church International has the market on God, and that we're the only ones that are going to be in heaven. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure there's other people that go to other churches of various types, shapes, and sizes that believes perhaps some things and... Maybe not other things, I don't know, that's up to God. But I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven that we're surprised about, and I think there's going to not be a lot of people in heaven that we're surprised about. Is everybody cool with that statement? (coughs) It's incumbent on us to take the word of God wholeheartedly, to embrace what it teaches, to believe what it teaches, and to live our lives the absolute best that we can to be ready for that great moment when we hear the trumpet sound everybody said amen i will also have you know tonight that the church is not plan b in the mind of god the church was not merely instituted after the jewish rejection of christ but the church was prophesied all throughout the old testament god had looked forward to the establishment of the church for a long time um Even borrowing, going all the way back from Genesis 22, the Bible said all nations were to be blessed by the seed of Abraham. Well, according to Romans, we were grafted in, and uh, uh, a wild branch grafted into that olive branch, which was a Jewish people. So I believe that that blessing that God promised through Abraham flows through the church throughout the world. And I believe that. I believe the world is awfully blessed right now with the church. Wait till the church is gone and see what happens to the world. Everybody said amen. So all the families of the earth were to be blessed by Abraham's seed. All kindreds of of the nations would worship the Lord in Psalm 22. In the last days, all nations would flow to the house of God in Isaiah chapter 2. Even the Gentiles, the Bible said, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11, would seek the root of Jesse, which is this Jewish promise. Uh, Many nations would be sprinkled with the blood of the Messiah. Many nations, not just one, many, would be sprinkled with the blood of the Messiah in Isaiah 52. Many nations would be joined to the Lord in that day in Zechariah chapter 2. The name of the Lord would be great among the Gentiles, according to Malachi chapter 1. As a matter of fact, the Gentile church believes in the name of the Lord more than the Jews do. Amen. Uh, In his name, the Gentiles would trust, according to Matthew chapter 12. So the church was not plan B. When the Jew thing didn't work with Jesus and they rejected him, the church wasn't plan B. The church was planned all along. God knew that Adam would fail, and God also knew that the Jews would reject Jesus. So he had all this planned. He knows the end from the beginning, and he had all of this planned to begin with. Let me tell you what the church is. I've given you three things that it's not. Let me tell you what the church is. The church is the centerpiece of the kingdom of God. It's the centerpiece. Right now, God has no other interest. He's only interested in the church, according to the scripture. The kingdom of God is much larger than the church because it includes more than the church. The kingdom of God includes the whole universe. It includes the whole angelic host. It includes all the Old Testament saints. So when you hear a pastor refer, you make a contribution to the kingdom. That's what I'm talking about. The kingdom of God is bigger than the church, but the church is God's centerpiece. The New Testament church is the kingdom of God's most important part. So if you live between the day of Pentecost and the rapture, if you live anywhere, how many of y'all live or living between the day of Pentecost and the rapture? I'm just curious. There's a couple of y'all I'd like to see after church. I <coughs> need to see if there's a pulse going on here or not. How many are living between Pentecost and rapture? Thought that'd be a pretty easy one. But if you live between the day of Pentecost and the rapture, then the new birth experience is a prerequisite if you want to be in the church to be saved. Jesus said the prophets who gave these prophecies and even the angels would love to participate in the very thing that's happening in our age right now with the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear, and have not heard them. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, unto whom it was revealed, not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which thing. The angels desire to look, look into. So all of the Old Testament prophets wanted to see where we are today. Angels want to experience what we experience, and they can't. The church is the centerpiece of the kingdom of God. Moses would have loved to have seen this royal priesthood that Peter described in First Peter chapter two, five through nine. Isaiah would have loved to have seen Pentecost in Isaiah twenty-eight, ten and twelve. It'd, Joel would have loved to have been in the upper room, no doubt. He prophesied an outpouring of the Spirit of God. So the church is the centerpiece of God's purpose on this planet right now. It's church. God created everything else, but the church cost Him dearly. The church is the only thing that God ever had to buy. (coughs) So we're privileged beyond measure to be a part of the church. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the writer said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So it's the only thing that God ever had to buy. The next thing I want to point out to you about the church is that the church is the only thing that cannot be shaken. Some of us need to rejoice in that and be happy about that. Individual saints and local assemblies may have problems, but the church is as solid as a rock of, of, the, of the of the rock of Revelation that it's built on. The Bible said in Isaiah 2 that the earth is to be shaken. In Ezekiel 38, the Bible said the nation of Israel is to be shaken. In Haggai chapter 2, the Bible said the heavens and the nations are to be shaken. Hebrews 12, 26 through 29 says, everything that can be shaken, will be shaken. But the church cannot be shaken. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it because it is a God-built church, a God-bought church. And I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm privileged to be a part of it. And I hope all of you feel the same way. Amen. I find it interesting in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19, the verses we read. At the beginning, the Amplified Version of those scriptures say, And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, a large piece of rock, that on this rock, Petra, a huge rock like Gibraltar, I will build my church in the gates of Hades. The powers of the infernal region shall not overpower it or be strong to its uh, detriment or hold out against it went on to say, Amplified Version, And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, that is declared to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, declare lawful, must be already loosed in heaven. So I want you to notice two awesome principles from this passage. First of all, and I want everybody to hear this tonight, the church is built on a message not a man. It's built on a message. Men come and go. Men succeed and fail. But the true revelation of God in Christ is the foundation of the church. Peter said, Thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, bar John of flesh and blood, not revealed reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, Upon that revelation, it's built on a message. The second thing we notice from this passage is that we must build the church according to God's blueprint if we want to have His blessing. The words bind and loose are perfect passive participles in the Greek language indicating things that have already been forbidden and things that have already been permitted. We just can't do whatever we want, and expect God to bless it. We must do what He wants, and then the blessing comes automatically as a byproduct of obedience. So if a contractor builds a house for someone, he sticks to the blueprint, which is the will of the purchaser. If we want to build a church, then we need to stick to the blueprint, which is the Bible, which is the will of the purchaser, which is God. He bought the church with his own blood, he purchased it, and he gave a blueprint for it. Otherwise, we're not really building a church. And that's the reason for this series that I want to embark upon tonight. We need to understand God's blueprint for building his church, and that's our purpose. We have to build his church, not our church not a church we like, not a church that suits us and what have you. You know, churches in our society days become like restaurants to me. You walk in, to have a menu. It's, figuratively speaking, you know, some restaurants you go to, they'll put their menu right outside the door so you can see what they offer before you even walk in. I've walked away sometimes. You know, and I look at a little green salad with four or five leaves of lettuce and about a third of a tomato cut up in it and it's like $15. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> Look at a fried shrimp dinner, and it's $458. No, I'm good. I'm going to go somewhere else. Now, that's a little exaggeration, but I'm not far off. But churches are kind of the same way. They They build reputation, and they set precedent. What bothers me so bad is when your church has a reputation of something it isn't. And it doesn't have a reputation of something that it is. Now, that bothers me really bad right there. But over a period of time, God sorts through all that stuff. My duty and responsibility here at Grace Church is to build a Bible-based church to the best of my ability with the direction and leadership of God's Spirit, following the Word of God as an example, and so on. That's what we have to do here. And it doesn't matter about the opinions of others. But churches are kind of like restaurants. and, and, And all around our city, there's even all kind of versions of Pentecostal churches that you go to, and everybody that goes to one says, well, this is a perfect church right here, and I'm going to be saved right here. I'm happy about that. I just hope everybody's right. Now, I'm saying Pentecostal churches because that's what I know, but I'll even stretch it to uh, denominational churches. They think they're right. I hope they are. I hope I'm right. I want to go to heaven. Bottom line I want to go to heaven. I want my family to go to heaven. I want you to go to heaven. And uh, so we have to understand that if we're going to do that, then we have to follow God's way. So we have to understand the purpose of the church, and we have to understand our purpose in it. Now, this is where I'm getting to the meat of my lesson. And, and I want to pound this point here for a minute. We've been talking about dream big, go big. And, and, and the dream big thing went awesome. It went far beyond what I dreamed. No, it didn't. Uh, There's still some of those dreams that are coming to pass as well. But um, now it's time to go big. It's time to go big. I want everybody to lend both ears. Um, First principle I want to teach tonight, if we're going to have a church that God is designing, that God's moving in, that God is working in, there is a commandment that we have to obey, every one of us, at some level. And that is do and teach. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke writing to the mysterious Theophilus that nobody knows who that is. You know, I've waited all my life, and my knowledge has never happened, but I've, I've always desired for somebody, I never desired to do it, but I've always desired for somebody else to name their firstborn son, Theophilus. I just think that would be a cool name. Now, I don't know if the child would grow up and think that that was a cool name, but uh, some of you that are still worthy of childbearing, give that some thought. Of course, they'll probably have a master's degree in college before they know how to spell it. So, But anyway, but, G- but he said, Luke wrote to Theophilus and said, The former treaties. This is out of the book of Acts. The former treaties is the book of Luke. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So if we're going to follow his example. I find it interesting, and I have to be real careful here because we're not going to dismiss having church. But Jesus, the Bible don't record him going to church that much. He went to the church on the Sabbath day, but he was always out in the community doing something. Always. 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 He was doing and teaching. Always. There were a few times he went off up the mount to rest and relax, and even then the multitudes found him, the Bible said. But Jesus set a precedent with the establishment of his church, and the New Testament followed this precedent, and it's one that we need to follow Starting tonight, we need to incorporate doing and teaching into our daily lifestyle. At some level, we need to do and teach people about the principles that are life-changing, that are life-saving, that Christ gave to us. Jesus' ministry was all about doing and teaching. The one refers to His miracle working power, while the other refers to His doctrine. Jesus did not work miracles just for miracles' sake, but he used them to teach his doctrine. When he healed the blind man, he taught, I am the light of the world. When he fed the 5,000, he taught, I am the bread of life. He also did not teach just for teaching's sake, but he taught them as one having authority. You want to know what's right? I'll tell you what's right. I know what I'm talking about. I'm well-versed in Scripture. I can tell you what happened to me. I can tell you why I'm here. I can tell you why you're here. At some point, folks, we have to step up and go big and learn how to do and teach. Now, I'll use Brother Gary and Sister Ashley. All of you know they own a, a wonderful business in Baker, uh, McDonald Tire and Car Care Service. The only thing they lack is the sales of Budan. If they'd start that, that'd be the complete business. Anyway, y'all ever notice that in South Louisiana? You can have TV and VCR repair and boudin sale. Anyway, um, but they have customers in and they're out of there all the time, out of their place of business, and and they report often and frequently that people come in and ask questions and about the church and about Jesus and what have you, and so they continually sow and seed, continually sow and seed. They do and teach, do and teach, do and teach, and it works out for them. And so you can't haul them into a service bay and let down that big hydraulic lift and set them on it and then lift them up where they're just sitting on the side and teach them a three-hour Bible study. But they're so seed, and, I, and, I, it, it, and I, I love that about them. And I think we should do the same. We should not be ashamed of who we are and what we know. But on some level, every one of us, Somewhere during the day can find an opportunity to do something awesome for somebody and to teach them the word of God. Everybody say amen. Several Sundays ago, and I've waited a long time to mention this, Sandy. Um, she went to McDonald's on Sunday morning before I think it was McDonald's, wherever it was, a fast food restaurant. And uh, somehow or another, I don't know how it all happened. Um uh, Somebody showed it to me on Facebook. But she gave a church business card to the cashier and said, give this to the person behind me and put their tab. uh, I'll take care of their tab. So they did all that, and it worked out. And the person who got that card used to attend church here. But it was just simply an act of kindness, and I don't think Sandy had any way of knowing that, that the person behind her, so she didn't just want to look good in front of congregation. So it was a true act of kindness. Well, something we've been working on for a while, we've been moving a lot of things forward at Grace, and here in the next Sunday or two, we're going to pass out, Sandy, cards of kindness. We've had these little cards made up. They're the size of a business card. On one side, it looks just like a business card, except it only has a church name on it. It don't have any person's name on it. It's just the name of the church. It looks just like our business card, but you turn it over, and it said, this is an act of kindness, just showing you that Jesus loves you. And the purpose of these, and when we introduce them, you'll understand, is that if you go to a coffee shop or you're in the drive-thru or whatever, hand this little card, tell the cashier, to the person behind me and put their coffee on my bill. I just want to be kind. It's doing, it's doing, it's sowing seed. Some of you have already been to restaurants that pastors pastor's been to because you signed your check with a grace pen. Grace ink pen, and uh, we've been doing that for the past several months. We leave them everywhere we go. Uh, I give away flashlights, and we have little church flashlights. I give away ink pens. It's just acts. It's doing. It's sowing seed. Sowing seed. Sowing seed. And you say, "Well, has any of these people come?" I don't know that any of them have come. If if they have, it got by me. Probably not. But we have had a lot of other people that have come, seemingly out of nowhere. Uninvited, so God gives a harvest and He honors that. Everybody understand that. We want to step up. We want to go big. Everybody say go big. We want to start going big, and this is something everybody can do. Everybody can do. Um, I've done this before, and and would like to encourage you to do it. You see someone in a restaurant that's having a real hard time, and it looks like you know maybe they're they're elderly, and all due respect or whatever. Just tell the waitress to put their tab on your ticket, and then send one of them little cards. To their table. We can afford to do that. Most everybody in this building can afford to do that. Can't do it every day. But once in a while it wouldn't hurt, would it? Just to be nice. And to be a Christian. Other than a holy one. I'm determined that this church is going to be known for something else besides a holiness standard. I'm determined that's going to happen. We're gonna be nice to people. We're gonna be nice to people. When you put them little stickers on your window, it obligates you to be nice in traffic. <laughs> Boy, there's times I won't hit that horn. Oh man, I got that sticker on my back window. <laughs> and they deserve it. <coughs> so, but we want to be, we want to do and we want to teach. Listen to Pastor. Doing without teaching, is wrong. It is wrong to have spirit without truth because that leads to apostasy. So somewhere along the line in your doing, there has to be speaking. Remember, I preached that Sunday. When God wants to speak, we have to start talking. had the most incredible experience this past Friday. Brother Dave and I were having lunch. And I want to tell you the long story, uh, because it was really a God thing. There's restaurants that I really like, and there's other restaurants, not so much. And invariably, I just went ahead and gave in. People at this church love Greek food, and we have a Greek restaurant here. So I just went ahead and cultivated a taste for it. I don't care for it that much, but that's where everybody wants to go. So I found something there that I like, and... If it's the same waitress, she says, yeah, I know what you want. You want a da-da-da with da 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 a drink. Anyway, I make it work. <coughs> There's restaurants I don't care for too much. But there was a restaurant that Sister Murphy and I stopped at a month or so ago when we was traveling, and it was delicious, and we have them here. It's a nationwide, probably worldwide restaurant. And um, it was good, so I kind of got my taste buds warmed up for that again. So Dave and I were planning lunch, and uh, he texted and he said, where do you want to go? And um, – I thought and thought and thought, and, and this restaurant that I hardly ever go to in the past 20 years, I've probably been there maybe five times. I said, let's go there. He said, okay. So we went. We sat down, and he said, "Pharaoh's going to be really upset with him for going to this restaurant because she really loves it, and he don't like it that much. So Well, thanks. You know, if you would have said something, we would have gone somewhere else. But he, she don't make him go there with her because she knows he don't really like it. She's a real nice wife. Some of you others need to catch on to that. Anyway, we went. We sat down and ate and had a great time of fellowship and what have you. And just as we were finishing up lunch, a lady walks up to our our table. And um, she looked at me and she said, I want you to know that this man across the table loves you with all of his heart and um, has a lot of respect and regard for you. And I'm just staring at her like, and who are you? And um, and then she looks at him and says, I want to tell you that this is a God thing. This is a God moment. And that was her words. She said, God has his hand on your life, and he is very carefully directing your footsteps. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about anything. Just keep serving the Lord. Stay submitted to him. Obey his word. And then she started speaking in tongues at this restaurant right there at the table. And she continued to minister. She turned around and ministered to me, and I absorbed every word of it. And I had the Holy Ghost was running all over my body. And I thought, wow, I've done that several times, but I've never had been on the other end of it where this lady just walked up and ministered to Brother Dave and I. And it just affirmed my heartbeat and where I'm at with God's process in this church. These are things, folks, that we have to start doing. We have to start doing them. You, you, you can be kind, and we want to be kind, and, 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 and bless the lives of people. But when God tells you specifically to do something, you don't hesitate. You don't wait and figure it out. You don't wait and put it under a microscope. You get up and walk. That's what this lady did. I don't know where she came from. I didn't see where she was sitting. I don't know where she came from. We had been there about an hour and a half by the time it happened. I never noticed her come in. I didn't know where she was sitting. She just appeared at our table and uh, obeyed the voice of God and what she had to say was spot on. We have to learn to be sensitive to these kind of things. There's every person in this building, I don't care who you are, you can minister to somebody on some level. We have to go big. And I want you to understand tonight that doing without teaching is wrong. You just can't drop an act of kindness and run away. But somewhere along the line, you have to open your mouth to people and you have to start teaching what thus saith the word of God. And, and, and having the spirit without truth, it's, it, it is obedience to doctrine that saves us, not just a move of the Holy Ghost. So somewhere along the line, you touch the lives of people with the presence of God, but at some point you connect with them. And then you teach them the principles, and the commandments of Christ. We have to understand that. It's not just your feeling that makes you a Christian. It's your obedience to the Word of God that makes you a Christian. So doing without teaching is wrong. It's not the whole thing. We need to continue moving forward, not just doing, but we need to teach. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, Thou shalt save thyself and them that hear thee. So you'll save yourself and them. So you have to do and teach. But notice, where doing without teaching is wrong, teaching without doing is also wrong. It is wrong to have truth without spirit, because that leads to apathy. One leads to apostasy, the other leads to apathy. God holds us responsible for what we do with what we know. So talking about revival doesn't bring revival. Revival is spelled go big. You spell revival, do, and teach is how you spell revival. James in ch- uh, chapter 1, verse 22, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. So we have to do and teach. Do and teach. And everybody here tonight can do that on some level. Grace Church must both do and teach if we want to be blessed by God. There's an area that we've struggled in at Grace uh, for the past 21 years. And it's committed personal evangelism. A lot of people invite people to church and you'll invite them over and over But there's a relationship bond there that's oftentimes lacking at a church level. So we feel good sometimes. We invited eight people to church this week, but there's no relationship there. There's no influence there. There's no continuity there. You just invited random people to church. There's nothing wrong with that. But sooner or later, we need to step that up a notch, where it's people that we can influence. It's people that that we do have their confidence. They believe in what we say, and they'll follow our lead. Somewhere along the line, we have to understand that. So Grace Church must both do and teach. So I have a goal for next year, and I'll be presenting it in vision casting in the next couple of months. But we have some powerful Bible study teachers here in this church, and I think it's a shame that we don't have about six or eight home Bible studies going on right now on a personal level. That can happen real easy. can happen real easy. Uh, I'll confess it's been a while since I've taught a home Bible study started two or three, and it didn't work out, it's okay, but I'm teaching one now. I've just started one now in the past several weeks, and I'm having a ball with it, and I told Sister Murphy, and I've told those that attend the class, that I am not, I am not going to let other things take precedent and priority over this home Bible study class. I'll go ahead and make this announcement. I'm doing it here at the church on Tuesday nights at 7.30. We don't have child care, and uh, don't bring your children. If you want to come, it won't work. Uh, it's too distracting. But if you can make arrangements otherwise and you'd like to come uh, as adult people, uh, we run about an hour, so you'd be welcome to. I uh, want to just teach home Bible study right here at the church. Jesus said in John 4.23, But the hour cometh, and now he is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this is what God's looking for. He's looking for worshipers, and he wants you and I to go find them. That's what he came looking for, and he found them. He left this church, he left this world on fire with a church. He wants to come back to this world and rapture away a church that is on fire. So I'm asking you tonight, asking everybody in this building, get your home Bible study chart and start finding personal people on a personal level. Somebody told me one time, I'll teach your home Bible study. Pastor, just tell me who needs to be taught. Well, that ain't my job. What do I look like, brother evangelism center here? If you want somebody to teach a Bible study too, you find them yourself. It, it would work better anyway. You have influence. You have authority in their lives. They'll hear you. Somebody that I know don't know you. So you find your own and uh, start teaching them, even if it's a new convert, to teach them discipleship. Home Bible study is a great way to teach discipleship. All right, the second principle tonight is to witness. You witness to people. You do and teach. You do and teach. You do and teach, and then you wait. Some of you have never heard this principle before, but it's a principle of the early church. You do what God asks you to do, and then you wait. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in His own power, but that you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses, so and so and so and so. God has two words for time, especially in the New Testament. He has two words for time. Number one is chronos, which means time governed by the clock. It's quantity time. It's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. It's 24-7. Those kind of terminologies that we understand, that's quantity time. And every person that's born on this planet gets the same amount of time. It's quantity time. But then he has kairos, which means time measured by special moments. And that's quality time. The key is that you have to take advantage of your kairos quality time at the moment it happens or you lose it forever. So when a door opens, you walk in. When an opportunity presents itself, you walk in you don't wait till a week later. The moment's over. I see this happen with church people all the time. There, there, there was a couple that was coming here uh, recently, and they had a moment. There was a moment of opportunity here, and they missed it. They didn't understand the moment. And as church people, listen to Pastor tonight, I'm pouring my heart out, is if you want to do and teach, you have to learn to recognize appropriate moments. For example, if you work at a company and there's a big board meeting and the CEO's there and the CFO and the OOO and the CEO and the EIEIO is there, you don't just go barreling in and say, Thus saith the Lord. You wait to the right time to do it. But when the right time comes, do it. Don't pass it off and say, Well, the door never opened. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. We have to learn to recognize it. And it's imperative. It's imperative That we become a church that is willing to both do and teach. And so when you do what God asks you to do, then you have to learn that there's a wait. God don't always give you the results immediately. He told the Jews to leave here and go to the upper room and wait. And we skip over that. Well, it's not the will of God to wait. Yes, it is. Ask Abraham that question. Sometimes you witness to people... And you witness to people. And you witness to people. And sometimes it's years before they ever turn to God. But it's worth the wait when they do. I want to be very careful here. There's a family I've worked with now for almost a year. And they're just now beginning to come around. And so I'm starting to feel that little on the inside that's been worth the wait. It's been worth it. The dinners, the counseling, the coaching been worth the wait man it's been worth the wait it's been going almost a year so sometimes you witness and wait you have to understand that there's there's a time when a moment happens and you have to act on it let me give you some bible and i'm trying to hurry luke chapter 19 verse 44 jesus said and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and leave thee not one stone upon another talking about the destruction of jerusalem because you did not know the time of thy visitation. That's not quantity time, that's quality time. You missed it. You had an opportunity, you missed it. In Acts twenty-four, twenty-five, Paul standing and, and, and witnessing, he said, and he responded, and reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and said, Go thy way for this time, and when I have a convenient season, or when I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. That time never came that we know of. Ephesians chapter 5, So then that you walked circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We have to understand moments of opportunity that God puts in front of us and then walk into it. Go, go, man, go. God's not going to leave you high and dry. And you know what's awesome is when you come out of that moment, you just feel like, hmm, the beach is that way. You do. And you know what it does? It, it it boosts your confidence for the next time. And then that time boosts your confidence for the next time. And pretty soon you just get to the point you'll bust up on anybody, no matter. God opens the door and you do it. When the disciples asked when Jesus was going to restore the kingdom, he told them it's not for them to distinguish between the times, quantity time, and the seasons, Kairos time, or those moments of opportunity because only God controls times of supernatural visitation. We have to understand when God is moving through you as a person, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, you do it because that time, more than likely, will never come again. The woman that came to our table Friday, she has no idea. She's been on my prayer list. She said her husband died first of this year and her granddaughter was shot and murdered in March of this year and standing at our table ministering with all of that in her heart. Only God has power. Authority is the word. Only God has authority over the results of our prayers, our worship, and our work. But he's given us the power, dunamis, the ability to be a witness. People said, I can't be a witness. Yeah, you can. If you have the Holy Ghost, you have the ability. God's given you the ability. He's empowered you to do it. So you witness, and you wait, and you let God work. You leave it to him. And every time a moment opens, every time a moment comes, you step into it. The third principle, and I'm hurrying, is to rise above and go beyond. It's go big, go big, go big, go big. In Acts 125, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by, the, by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now understand, he committed suicide and he lost out with God. But sometimes we mistakenly think that the early church was somehow more spiritual than we are today. One of their prized disciples committed suicide right in the beginning stages of it. They were as human as we are. They suffered things and anxiety and what have you just like we do. But the book of Acts tells us plainly, the book of Acts tells us plainly that they had problems and setbacks. Outside the crucifixion of Jesus, probably no other situation was harder for the disciples to deal with than the fall of Judas Iscariot. And this is when the church was founded, man. Y'all understand that? Here's this big whoop that God's fixing to do, and one of their main guys kills himself. But they didn't let that stop them. They didn't let that stop them from waiting. They still stayed true to the principles and the commandments that Jesus asked them to do. He had been ordained to be an apostle, He was ordained to preach the gospel, He had been given power over devils and disease. And yet he backslid, betrayed the Lord into the hands of the Sanhedrin court. What a setback for the church. But we do not see the disciples giving up or getting discouraged. Instead, they resolutely rose above their heartache and they moved beyond that terrible trial to embrace their future with God. So with God, failure is never fatal. God never wastes a hurt. If you've been hurt, God's not going to waste it. If you'll be objective and open your heart to the Spirit of God, you'll learn something from it. It'll make you a better person if you'll learn and be objective. Micah said in Micah 7, 8, one of my favorite scriptures, Rejoice not against me, mine enemy. When I fall, I'll arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Let rivals rise above our past, our problems, our perplexities, and go to a place in Jesus that we have never been before. And I believe we can do it. You know what? I believe we're going to do it. I believe there's people here tonight that's heard this. You've heard the messages in the weeks and months previous and and go big, dream big, and so on. And you're tired of just living status quo, day-to-day life for Jesus. I believe there's people here tonight that want to go big. And you're going to get that Bible study chart, and you're going to start a care group, You're going to start something new for Jesus and God's going to revolutionize your world because of it. We're too timid and we're too afraid and we hide under the the auspices or, or, excuse me, the umbrella of, well, we're holy and that's all we need to be. No, it ain't. There's clear commandments in the Scriptures to go and teach, witness and wait and rise above and go beyond your hurts, your heartaches, and the things that beset us so bad. Let's do it. I need to rewind and start all this all over again. Hey, let's rehearse that again. Let's do it, folks. Amen? Let's do it. We can do it. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Thank the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being a wonderful church, a wonderful organization of people, a wonderful congregation of people that God loves, that God saved, that God bought with his blood, and let's buy into what he's doing in our church and in our city. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You're dismissed to depart from the building. at your leisure, of course. Or y'all can sit and just love you guys. God bless.